Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Exodus how Moses and the Apostle Paul both awakened to a quest to know God more as they grew in their faith. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, before we begin today's teaching program from the book of Exodus, Tom Cantor would like to personally invite you to come out to the Creation and Earth History Museum and our Museum Day that's happening Saturday, September 28th. That's Saturday, September 28th from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Saturday, September 28th from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum, and that's in Santee, California. So make your plans to come out here. You can get more information on our website, creationsd.org. This is going to be a great museum day, as we have many guest speakers that will be there. One of them will be Tom Cantor himself. We'll also have Dr. Gary Parker. Also, Dan Breeding, the Animal Man, and the cast and crew of Jonathan Park for a live performance, as well as Russ Miller, Dr. Randy Galiza, Dr. John Morris, and Ray Comfort. Great speakers that are going to be there for the Museum Day on September 28th, again from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Now, this year's focus is on kids, and we've got activities that include the launch of new kids' exhibits. We'll have petting zoos, creeping things reptile encounter, face paintings, balloon artists, raffles, foods, refreshment, and more. We even have Chick-fil-A sponsoring the event. Now, again, we want to invite you out Saturday, September 28th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Now, this is the world's first creation museum that Tom Cantor owns and operates, and it's the second largest in the country and in the world. And Tom Cantor would like you to see this expanded creation history museum on Museum Day, Saturday, September 28th. Now, we've got the six days of creation. We've also got a human anatomy wing and a life-size tabernacle theater display presentation that's done by Tom Cantor. It's one of a kind, can't be found anywhere else. Now, the museum is located at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. You can go to creationsd.org, creationsd for San Diego, creationsd.org to learn more information or call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Again, make your plans to join us on Saturday, September 28th at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Again, go to creationsd.org for more information or 1-800-247-3051. Now remember, the Friendship with God radio program messages from Tom Cantor are always available free for listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor as we begin today's study from the book of Exodus every Thursday and Friday. Hi, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our Study in the book of Exodus and what a wonderful book this is turning out to be. Let's start first with asking God for his help. Lord, we are so conscious today of how much we need you. We need you, Lord, because this book, though given to us, Lord, we need you to open this book to us and to teach us and to show us most of all our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to continue as we have in the study of this book in this passage here. This is such an important area, such an important passage here of the calling of Moses, but beyond just the calling of Moses, we see deep, wonderful truths And so that's why we're spending a little bit extra time in here. And what we'll do now is just to refresh ourselves with the passage, we'll start and read again in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. 
And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So here we are. This is a tremendous passage here. And it is so pregnant with truth. And what we want to do is just to look at just parts of it here. And as we do, we feel like we're barely scratching the surface for all the truth that's contained here. But in verse 13, we've sort of camped out a little bit on this fact where Moses is saying that, is asking uh, God that when he goes to the Jewish people and he, and he says to them uh, that God, the God of their fathers, has sent me unto them. He's saying to them that he says, they're going to say to me, what is his name? That's what he's saying here. He's saying, they shall say to me, what is his name? How did he know? How did Moses know that the people would say that they're going to say, what is his name? How was Moses so sure that this was going to be the very topic? Moses was sure because Moses now is speaking as a priest. You see, the difference between the prophet and the priest is that the prophet speaks for God to the people, but the priest speaks to God from the people. The priest is, as it says in Hebrews, every priest is taken from among men. And that's the key to the understanding of the word priest. He is from among men. And Moses now, when he asks this question, what is his name? He is speaking from among the Jewish people. He is taken from among the Jewish people. He speaks for the Jewish people. So now with the heart of the Jewish people, with knowing what the Jewish people have on their mind, he says, I know because I am their representative. I am their priest. I represent them. And standing in this place of representation, I know what's going to be foremost on their heart and on their mind. And what is that? It is, what is his name? What is his name? This is very important for us to understand because the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He is our great, our big, as the word is, Gadol, our big high priest, our great high priest. He's our priest. So when he makes intercession for us, 
as our priest, he speaks for us. He says, Father, do not destroy the people, for I became part of the people, and he did. The Lord Jesus Christ did when he was born a Jewish man, as among the people, not as one who was recognized as so distinctly different, because as it says in Isaiah 53, that when we should see him, there's no beauty in him, that we should desire him, that even his enemies, when they looked at him, they said, is not this the carpenter Joseph's son? Is not this the son of Mary? He's nothing, nothing, because he was blended in. He was a part of the people, and as such, he was qualified to speak for the people, to be a priest of the people. And so he, knowing that our greatest need is the sin that separates us from God, set his life as part of us and as among us to die for the sins of the people, to make intercession for the people, to make them a people prepared for God. And so this we see Moses in this place here when he knows. He's not saying, no, I think they might say, but he's saying, they shall say to me in verse 13. They shall say to me, what is his name? He knows because he's speaking, is representing the Jewish people at that point. And so he poses this question to God and he says, what is his name? Now, Moses is now visualizing also in his mind what it's going to be like when he comes to the Jewish people. He's walking it through in his mind, and he tells them, he sees himself telling them that the God of their fathers has sent him to them, and he's now anticipating in his mind that they're going to say to them, yeah, so what's his name? And this God of yours, Moses, this God of yours, and you say, this is the God of our fathers? So tell us, Moses, what's his name? And he's afraid. Moses is also afraid because Moses is so afraid of another failure. Moses has looked back on his life. He's had a lot of time during this 40 years, the second period of his life, second period of 40 years. And during this 40 years, he's had a lot of time to look back, which he's done, and he sees failure, 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 one right after the other. He was in the position of a prince. Moses was a prince in Egypt, and Moses failed to work that leverage that he had to deliver the Jewish people out of Egypt. Moses failed as he had to run for his life out of Egypt, and as Moses pictures in his life how he was just barely getting out by the skin of his teeth, And Pharaoh was just, you could almost feel the claws of Pharaoh at every juncture of his leaving of his own personal exodus, let's say, out of Egypt. And as Pharaoh was trying to kill him, and he saw that, and he says, oh, what a failure I was to leverage the position I had as prince to get my people delivered out of Egypt. And the position of one of the Jewish people who might persuade the Jewish people, it's another position he had. He was one of them, one of the Jewish people. He was in a position to try to attempt that he might persuade, possibly, the Jewish people to accept him as their leader, to accept him as the one who was going to deliver them, to accept him, accept him as the one who would bring them all together so that they could leave. And Moses looks back on that and he says, failure, I failed there again. I failed as the Jewish people pushed me away. And whatever hard I tried, however hard I tried, finally, my report card was when the Jewish people shoved me away, rejected me, and said to me those searing words, who made thee 
a prince and a judge over us. They spoke to me with words of despisal. They spoke to me in an attitude of rejection. They spoke to me as they reproached me, as they rebuked me for even thinking that I could be a prince, I could be a judge over them. Forget about it, they said, in essence. No, and even now, even now in the position of one who could bring the knowledge of God Because the people of God had gotten far from God. The Jewish people had gotten far from God there in Egypt. And they needed the knowledge of God. And Moses had the knowledge of God. So he looks at himself and he said, I am a man with the knowledge of God going to a people who need the knowledge of God. And as he looks at that in his own life, and again he has to say, My, I'm the person with the knowledge of God. My own wife, the closest one to me on earth. My own wife doesn't have the knowledge of God. My own wife, and later on we're going to see this, how Moses failed with his own wife. He failed with his bride to bring her the knowledge of God as we're going to see how his wife refused to let Moses circumcise their son. And when finally it came to the point where it was such a conflict between Moses and God that actually God was to the point where he was going to kill Moses over this issue. And when his wife saw that, and Moses was evidently on his deathbed and couldn't do it, his wife rose up, took a knife and grabbed her son and circumcised him and then threw the foreskin and said to her husband Moses, a bloody husband. Thou art to me because of the circumcision. What does that show in the attitude of his wife? Shows in the attitude of his wife that she was not sympathetic to the circumcision, much less to the God of circumcision, the Lord God Almighty, the God of Moses. She was not on that page. And as Moses looked at that, that hurt. That hurt a lot when that wife of his took and and threw the foreskin and said, a bloody husband thou art to me because of the circumcision. That hurt a lot. That hurt a lot in many, many different areas. That hurt because of their relationship together. It was shot. And that hurt Moses. That hurt a lot because of the display that she was making in front of their child, their son. And that hurt Moses a lot. And it also hurt because Moses looked at this woman his wife, and said, oh, it's not me she's throwing that foreskin and saying those words against. It's God. She's put herself in a very dangerous position, and that hurt. That hurt the husband Moses. But you know what hurt him also? It hurt him because when she did that display of the bloody husband thou art to me with the foreskin and the knife and all the drama and the blood, and what that hurt Moses is said, I failed. I failed to bring my wife into the knowledge of God. Now I'm going to go and bring the Jewish people in the knowledge of God? What are my credentials? Color me Mr. Failure in the home. Moses the father, Moses the teacher, Moses the spiritual leader in the home. Failed! And that hurt, that hurt a lot when she went through that tyrant. And so he looks back over his own life and he says to himself, Failure, 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 failure. And Moses was weary with being a failure. He was worn out. He was tired. He was tired of being a failure. And now, because God's called him, he's about to embark on this next great venture to deliver the Jewish people. 
And Moses wants so much just not to fail. Not another failure, please. And so he's anticipating all the obstacles that are going to be in his way as he goes out, as he's going to go do what God says. He's resolved to go and obey God. Thank God and and good, Moses, good to not let, as Paul said, the things which are behind me, he says, but he presses forward, forgetting those things which are behind is the way Paul put it. And Moses is now, as regard to all these failures, is forgetting those things which are behind. And he's pressing forward for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we see Moses doing that, pressing forward. But he's trying to, he says, okay, forget the past, but I don't want to fail again. And so the last time Moses tried to deliver the Jewish people, he was caught on the spot. He was caught unprepared. He was caught by surprise. By surprise of what? The rejection of the Jewish people. It caught him off guard, caught him on the spot. And he wondered now, he wondered as he looked at this, how it all happened, how he was caught off guard, how he was surprised, how he was so unprepared. And he thought about it, back on it. He wondered, how was he found out to be the killer of that Egyptian? What happened? It said explicitly there, that Moses looked this way and he looked that way before he killed that Egyptian. but And he didn't see anyone. But obviously, Moses was seen by the Jewish people, by somebody, because the next day they taunted him with the call in Exodus 2.14. And he said, And who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill us, to kill me, as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. See, that was the words of a man who is caught off guard, caught on the spot, caught, uh, he's surprised. And that fear that it says Moses had was also a shock fear because he knew that he had failed to prepare and he knew that he had failed to anticipate what happened and he was caught off guard by that statement. And now it's 40 years since that happened And Moses is still afraid of being caught off guard, of being caught unprepared, of being caught by surprise. And so he's afraid. He's afraid to fail. And he can see himself standing in front of all those Jewish people. And he says, God sent me to you, with a big smile on his face, and then being put on the spot again, being unprepared, being caught off guard. And so he asks God for the answer to the question that he anticipates. I know they're going to ask me, what is God's name? who sent you to us. So tell us, Moses, what's his name? You're the one who knows all about God. So tell us what his name is then. And that is one angle for why Moses was asking God this question. But let's expand this a little more. Let's expand it into a little bit of a deeper consideration. Because for us as believers, Moses is not just the great deliverer of the Jewish people and the giver of the law of God. We put ourselves in the place of the believing Jews at that time. And there was at least Joshua and Caleb. And we see Moses as our speaker. And we say, oh, good. Moses speaks for us. Moses says what we want to say. And seeing ourselves as one of those believers we see Moses again, as we've been talking about, as our priest, our priest. Very similar to the Jewish people and uh, the very small remnant of believing Jews. For the Jewish people, 
the Lord Jesus Christ is not their speaker, is not their priest. They have totally rejected him as that. But by contrast, for example, the small remnant of Joshua and Caleb out of two million, by contrast for the Jewish believers, the Lord Jesus Christ is their speaker. He is their priest. And so as a priest, Moses is our representative and he speaks for us. And what he says here are our words. And here he's speaking for us and he's asking what every believer wants to know. He's asking what you want to know. He's asking what I want to know. The desire of every believer, the desire of every awakened soul is to know who God is. It's to know who God is. As a matter of fact, you can sort of almost divide everybody in the world into one of two categories And there are those who want to know who God is, and they care to know God's name. And then there are those who don't want to know, who could not care less, of whom it is no interest at all as to who God is, as to what his name is. But the desire of every believer, of every awakened soul, is to know who God is, to want to know him. And there comes a time in the life of little children And that time arrives in the case of little children when their God consciousness seems to wake up, seems to blossom like a flower. The time has come. It's the time of God bloom. It's a time of the opening up. And we see that, the consciousness, the awakeness, and they want to know who God is. And they come to the place where they want someone who knows to tell them who God is. They may express it by saying something like, what does God look like? Where does God live? And just what is he like? What is God like? And they want to know. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said, unless you become as a little child, you won't enter into heaven. Unless you have that bloom of spring, as like the flowers that open up, And they want to know who God is and that God consciousness. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you can't get to the kingdom of heaven. You can't get to heaven unless you have that. You know, there's a wonderful flower in Israel and it only blooms at night. And I I saw it when I was there and it's closed during the day. But during the nighttime, that flower opens up. It's really amazing. It's an amazing flower I don't know why it does this, because all the other flowers open up to catch the sunlight, but this flower seems to open up really at the end of the day. It catches a little bit of the sun, and then it's open during the night, and it closes in the morning. And you know, that flower is a wonderful example of how a believer becomes a believer, because every person has the nighttime that falls into their lives. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we get a lot of calls, emails, and feedback on how you love the Friendship with God radio program. And what makes that so distinct is that Tom Cantor uses the New Testament as a commentary on the Old Testament. By seeing the oneness of the Old and the New Testament, Tom brings to life the grace of God in the Old Testament by showing how God deals with the universal lostness of man and the everlasting covenant of love that God has for the Jewish people and for you today. Now, many of you have been listening to the Friendship with God radio program for a while, and you've been enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching from the Word of God. Now, you may not know much about Tom Cantor. So who is Tom Cantor? Tom Cantor is an amazing man of faith 
and also a great Bible teacher, of course, that you know from this program. But Tom Cantor is also a successful Jewish businessman, and he's also a Jewish Christian who's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, part of his success in business is being the CEO and president of Scanabody's Laboratory. It's one of the largest privately held biotech companies in the world and represented on five continents and has over 800 employees. Now, Tom Cantor is also the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year, helping to save thousands of patients' lives by speaking the truth and winning one of the largest judgments in U.S. history. But if you ask Tom Cantor about all of these accomplishments, none of them are as important as compared to what God has done through his business's missions. You see, his regular business is what Tom calls the small job. And his big business? Well, that's God's business. And that's important business. And Tom's motto's always been from God. You take care of my business, and I'll take care of your business. From Luke 2.49. Now, Tom teaches every Sunday at the Mission Valley Community Chapel, located here in San Diego, California. And Tom is also the founder of several ministries, the Light and Life Foundation, as well as Israel Restoration Ministries. Israel Restoration Ministries reaches over a million lost Jewish people a year. We have hundreds of volunteer and part-time missionaries, as well as a few full-time missionaries that go out and take the gospel to the Jewish people. Now, if you'd like to work with Israel Restoration Ministries and be a full-time gospel missionary to the Jewish people in the Southern California area, we've got an opportunity for you. Or maybe you'd like to be a part-time volunteer missionary to the Jewish people and you'd like to work with us. Well, we want you to call us today at 1-800-247-3051. We're looking for people that are interested in going door-to-door or building relationships with people right where they're at, joining up with us in our coordinated events where we go to colleges and also retirement homes and other public events to try to reach Jewish people. If you'd like to join us as a volunteer working part-time or full-time, go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org to learn more information or 1-800-247-3051.